This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible.com. If you would like to support this podcast and start a 30-day trial membership, visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Season 11, Episode 12. This is Writing Excuses, idea as subgenre. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brenda. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we once again have Nancy Folda joining us. I'm waving. <laughs> so. No, they can see you. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what that little thing on the ceiling is. <laughs> Last time I promised that we, well, two weeks ago, I promised we were going to dig into this a, a little bit more. Because I really want to say, you know, our, our people have this idea, our listeners, they've brainstormed it. How do they go from that to story? And then also, how do they use that as a smaller piece of a much larger story? Mary, you said you have an exercise. Yeah. So one of the things that people run into when you've got, you've got the gee whiz idea, mm-hmm. and you don't really have anything to hang on it yet. Yep. So one of the things that I do is I, I think about where this gee whiz idea might happen. Like, um, let's use the, the milliner assassin that I was doing last yes. time. Mm-hmm. So, our last season. Um, so, Milliner Assassin. I'm going to say Secondary World Venice. Mm-hmm. All right. And so, Milliner Assassin in the idea story genre is going to concentrate a great deal upon the mechanics of Milliner Assassinry. Exactly. How does she do it? What kind of needles? What kinds of poisons? Which kinds of hats are best to hide <laughs> things in? You know, maybe. <laughs> so, the, yes, it could go that way. But this is one of the one of the things is that when you're coming up with the gee whiz idea, they can go a lot of different ways. If I'm focusing on the milliner assassin as my main character, yes. If I'm focusing on someone who's trying to track down the milliner Mm -hmm. assassin, it may not focus on that. So first I come up with where it's taking place, which tells me a lot of things. Then I kind of make a list of who's going to be there and who's going to be affected. So, you know, there would be the assassin, there would be victims, there'd be widows, possibly a detective trying to track her down, clients. You know, I would go through this whole list and then from that list, I would kind of look at it to see who has what at stake. And the person who is the most at stake is the one that I'm going to pick as my main character. Mm. And from there, I am able to construct a story because now, now that I know that she has something at stake, um, you know, is it, let's say I pick the milliner assassin. Okay, well, what does she have at stake? Um, and then I will, again, brainstorm all of the things that she might have at stake. And from there, I'm able to craft a story that is idea-driven. Right. But it's not just, look at this neat idea. There's an yeah. assassin who kills people mm-hmm. with mil- millinery. Yeah. One, one of the ways that you see idea used as a subgenre a lot or as a spice to a story is as the set dressing. Yep. This mm-hmm. is basically what the YA dystopia genre is. I'm going to tell a thriller or a romance or whatever – but it's in a cool world where X mm. happens. That's where what divergent is. That's people what, can take their teenagers and send them for recycling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you come up with that cool what if, mm-hmm. and then you tell a thriller inside of it. Yeah, I've, I think that, uh, you know, uh, two weeks ago, we, we tried to uh, distinguish a little more clearly between the mice idea and the idea element Um, inspiring fascination in the reader and having that carry the whole book, to me anyway, is a lot harder 
than taking fascination and using it as yeah. a seasoning for a story that is principally a thriller or principally a romance. And so when we talk about idea as a subgenre, uh, I think that is where the distinction between mice idea and elemental idea uh, really kicks in. Yeah. Um, I would say that for me, this might be why I write epic fantasy, <laughs> um, but an idea is generally not enough to drive a story for me that I want to write. I go long form. Even my short stories are long. Um, and I am usually looking for an idea hook for every character, where if I were to say, it's this, you say, oh, that's interesting. Um, it's a you know guy who's raised as a surgeon who is sent to war and learns he's really good at killing people. That's a, oh, that's cool. I want multiple idea hooks for the setting. It's a world where storms that are as powerful as any hurricane on Earth come every three days. Um, and I want multiples of those. I want, you know, here's what the government is. Here's a hook on the government. This is a government based around the idea of MLMs. The more money you earn, the higher you rank. Um, this sort of thing I'm going to take as seasoning for every aspect of my book and use that to make lots of, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow moments. The book is not about those, but the oh, wows are all over the place for me in a story, but that, I'm writing 400,000-word books. Let me let me offer two books that are pretty much pure idea mm -hmm. just as a contrast. Yeah, yeah, they totally exist. Um, mm -hmm. One is uh, 2312 by Kim, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson, mm -hmm. which is basically, look at, the, look at how cool the solar system is. And I've got some plot kind of here, <laughs> but really, look at how cool the solar system is. Mm -hmm. And the other one is Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson, okay. which is yeah. basically, so what happens if the moon blows up? And the rest of the novel is dealing with, with that and getting very, very detailed about aeronautics. Right. Um, and these are both driven by the, whoa, as opposed to what you're talking about, where we are using it as a seasoning. Yep. And it is a lot more common to see it as a seasoning. And, yeah. and, and it's, you know. One thing to be aware of, too, if you are writing idea stories, you will get a very polarized response from readers as you're in the development mm. process. Because some people are reading primarily for plot, primarily for event, and they're all going to complain at you about how much time you're spending on the idea. And that does not necessarily mean you're writing a bad story. It means you're writing an idea story and they weren't looking for one. Yeah. yeah. So Jack McDevitt's, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say, so what you really want to do is check to see if there is anyone who's loving it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quite literally. You know, if you have, if you're getting two very different lines of feedback, that's okay. Just start listening to the people who like the idea stuff. Okay. And your Jack revision McDevitt's, process. Jack uh, McDevitt's Engines of God and Ancient Shores, um, <clears throat> both very much idea novels. And the distinguishing thing for me, I mean, I'm fascinated throughout the book as the idea is explored. Um, but one of the, the hallmarks of this, where the idea, the fascination is the driving force, is that there are so many characters. We are moving from character to character as we explore the idea because there isn't a single protagonist or a single conflict that is driving the story forward, we are watching as this discovery mm. propagates through society and changes things. We are watching as teams of explorers in different places uh, dig into this new information. Uh, very much not about characters or plot. 
You know, I'm I'm wondering actually as I'm thinking about it if that is a hallmark of a, a giant idea, like a, an idea as major. Mm. Is, in this right. case, that, I, I think it is. Yeah. Because um, I was just thinking about China Mieville, and pretty much everything that China Mieville has ever written is is an idea mm-hmm. novel. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. All right. So the book of the week is The Watchmaker of Filigree Street by Natasha Pulley. This is great. So it's Victorian and the main – there's a couple of different uh, protagonists, but one of them is um, is a watchmaker. He, he's in London. It's uh, Victorian London. Uh, he's Japanese and he makes these amazing, amazing watches – and then there's also this entire uh, mystery thing of someone has been misusing them because they can do amazing things. Um, it's, it is fascinating because of the details. It's a really good example of, of um, the idea as, mm-hmm. as subgenre because the, the details and what can happen with them is so cool. Um, and then it's it's also beautifully written and great character stuff. So it's not just a straight idea story, but it has a very strong idea component. And I highly recommend it. So again, Watchmaker, Filigree Street. You can hop over to audible.com. Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Thank you. Sorry, I just totally blanked on that one. Um, and uh, pick up, start a... Uh, 30-day trial. Wow. You can tell that this is the last episode of the day <laughs> because I've lost all of my who, words. Who wrote Watchmaker of Filigree Street? Natasha, Natasha Pulley. Pulley. Okay. Read by Thomas Judd. Mm-hmm. And I, I read this in one sitting. Excellent. All right. Last half of the podcast. Um, I want to talk about using idea as subgenre specifically in our stories. I want to move away from, hey, here's a good example of it that I've seen in fiction and more of a how-to. And I'm going to ask Nancy – You've got a great idea. You know you're, you've got this um, story you're going to write that's a thriller or a mystery or something, and you want to highlight the gee whiz of the idea as a component of this. How do you go about doing that without letting the idea gobble up everything else and get into this world builder's disease that Mary had mentioned? One thing that I try very hard to do is to follow my own sense of cool Okay. when I'm writing. It's very easy. World builder's disease tends, at least for me, to come from a, a feeling that I have to get it all down. I have to know it all. I have to, I have to you know, a, a sort of an external expectation that I must know it all. Whereas 
there are always going to be threads in the idea that are what I personally find most emotionally engaging, what I personally find interesting. And so over time, I've, I've learned, and I mean, this, is, this may just be my writing process, right? Who knows if it's applicable to someone else. But I've learned if I just follow the things that I think are awesome. Okay, follow the awesome. That's a great <laughs> phrase yeah. to tell yeah. people. Mary, I see you writing things down. That usually means you have something brilliant. <laughs> to add. Um, so I, I find that one of the things that works best with ideas is to pair it with something else. Mm-hmm. Um, if you pair the idea with the character's reaction to it, if you pair the idea with exposition, if you pair the idea mm-hmm. with action, um, if we use the, the cooking metaphor, it's, it's kind of like black pepper. It's really good. You don't want it all by itself most of the time. It's one of those spices that is, I think, best paired with other things. And you can pair it with some surprising things, like I've discovered black pepper and chocolate. It was really, really good. Uh, Brandon has just made <laughs> Actually, a face. You know, my mother discovered black chocolate and popcorn, or, or pepper and chocolate. <laughs> popcorn is one of her favorite things. <clears throat> yeah. Peppering her popcorn. And I've tried it. It's a very different experience. You're like, oh, wow, I don't like it better, but I'm glad I tried it because it was a different take on popcorn. Yeah. And, and so I find that ideas are very much the same thing, that if you can give us, uh, so let me give you an example of how to do this. Mm-hmm. So if I've got a really cool idea, and I want my readers to have the understanding of how really cool it is, I can pair it with a character reaction mm. so that my character mm-hmm. comes in and looks at it and, uh, like, looks at the the cardboard thing that is sitting on the couch and goes, what is this? And someone says, well, put it up to your face. And they, they go, oh, my gosh. This, I, is, yeah. this is virtual reality. You have, you have virtual reality in a cardboard box. And that, that amazed reaction is going to tell my reader, this is a cool thing, as opposed to if I have my character pick it up and go, oh, you got one of those, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that <laughs> goes back to that character attention thing that you're mm-hmm. always telling us about. Um, I would say also, over the next few months, we're going to be digging into some more elemental genres that I think will illustrate how you could take an idea and turn it into a mystery, or take the same idea and turn it into a thriller, or take the same idea and approach it as a horror story. Um mm-hmm. The idea is often the seed for a lot of these things, but the elemental genres, the other ones we're going to be talking about, pair really well with idea stories. If I find it fascinating and then you convince me to be frightened of it, yeah, you may have written a horror story, you may have written a thriller. Um, when I do these, uh, currently with Schlock Mercenary, I've uh, uh, broached the question of Fermi's paradox. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why, why in our world, you know, why have we not seen aliens yet? Because the math says... We should have. And in the Schlock Mercenary universe, well, we've made contact with the aliens. Would anybody still be asking that question? And what I said was, no, until just now. Somebody dug it up and started looking at it. And and as I noodle on that, the characters, some of the characters are very, very frightened by it. And some of the characters are like, eh, the aliens showed up. What's, what's the question? I don't see what the big deal is. Um, I find it fascinating. And the thing that makes it so useful is that in our world, the possible solutions to Fermi's paradox are manifold. And I get to plug into all of these different things through the points of view of the different characters. Yeah. And how do you go about taking an idea and creating a larger story that maybe isn't about the idea, but just incorporates it? What I do try to do is start by thinking how will this idea change the story Mm -hmm. that I'm trying to tell. Mm -hmm. If I'm trying to tell 
a romance or if I'm trying to tell a mystery, well, if I put this one cool technology into it or this one cool kind of magic, how will that change the romance or how will that change the mystery? How will that Mm -hmm. change the way people solve the mystery? And if those questions provide interesting answers, then I'm going down a good path and I keep following it. And if I can't come up with anything good, then I need a different idea. I think it's fascinating that the past three comments have all really highlighted the idea of the intersection between your cool idea and something else. You know, it's a little bit like, you know, describing a static scene, no matter how interesting the stuff is, it's kind of static. As soon as something's moving, there's a wind blowing, there's a person picking up the cool vase instead of the vase on the table, it gains interest and gains meaning. For me, a lot of this comes from the intersection of two ideas. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, Idea stories are ones that can, you can multiple, you can multiply ideas really well and say, you know, Mistborn, I've often pitched. This is the idea of what happens if the hero loses mixed with high story in a fantasy novel. Um, And that intersection was really fascinating, exciting to me. And it turned out to be an epic fantasy. It's actually not an idea story. It just has a lot of strong idea elements to it, Mm -hmm. like a lot of fantasy does. But the beginning was what happens if I put these two ideas together, shake them up, what starts to come out. One thing I love doing is combining a really cool idea with something really banal. You know, mm. like Mary yep. was talking about virtual reality in a cardboard box. Yep. Take something awesome and then something we see every day. I think that's our key for idea is kind of this mix it with things, shake it up and extrapolate and see where we go. One thing that's useful to remember as well is it doesn't have to work the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we write stories iteratively. Um, one, one of my most uh, successful stories in terms of reader appeal, actually on its first draft, completely flopped. Nobody liked it. Everybody hated it. Um, and in the revisions, you, when you actually look at it, the final version is not very different from, from the beginning version. This is movement, right? And what, the only thing that changed, the only thing that changed was I added an emotional cast to the character's experience. So instead of a static character observing without any emotions, um, now I had a character who was responding to the situation, who had a feeling about it, who had a, an opinion about it. And, and in terms of number of words on the page, it wasn't that big. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is if you try to write an idea story and everyone hates it, it doesn't actually mean that you're necessarily far from your goal. It just means you're missing the pepper, you know. Yeah. It, one thing that as, as we're starting to wind up that I want to go take us back to is that idea stories are driven by what if mm-hmm. uh, combined with fascination. And this is one of those places where you do – have to trust your instincts, as Nancy said, to follow the awesome. So one of the things when you're looking for, for actually how to do this is you've got your gee whiz idea. You've got your, your really cool thing. You know, write down what if. What if, what if bees were sentient? And then just brainstorm all of the possible consequences of that. And the one that makes you go, ooh, the one that fascinates you is the one to follow. So that is, and you can do this, it doesn't even have to be the thing that is driving the story. It can be a moment when your character walks into a new space, when they discover a clue, when they have a conversation with someone. Whatever that idea is that you're looking at, that is whatever you're doing, Mm -hmm. you can build the fascination with it by, in fact, trusting your own instincts. That's very good. Um, I think we're going to end on that note. Though I'm going to give you guys some homework. Uh, This is something I push my students to do a lot in my class, which is to take a step further 
on something in their story. Oftentimes, I'll have students come to me and say, they'll have actually a really compelling character, but they'll be in the most bland, generic world that's ever existed. So I want you to take a story that you've been working on, and I want you to push either some world-building element or some character element further. I want you to brainstorm an idea. I don't want you to just have a monarchy. I want your monarchy to be weird in some way. I want you to follow the awesome. I don't want you to just use coins in your thing or just fly on spaceships like every other spaceship you've seen. I want you to take a story you've actually written and make it weirder in a gee whiz kind of way. And while you're doing that, make sure that you are thinking about the implications and consequences. This has been Writing Excuses. Nancy, thank you so much. You're very welcome. You all listening are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 